episode is supported by TeamDrive, the enterprise and personal file synchronization and sharing solution that is secure and protects your privacy. To learn more, visit teamdrive.com or if you are from US, visit syncion.com, S-Y-N-Q-I-O-N.com. You will get 15% discount on the first year subscription if you use coupon code GADA15, G-A-D-A-1-5. This episode is supported by Tutanota, the secure Gmail replacement. I use Tutanota because it respects my privacy and keeps my data secure. As Tutanota is ad-free, the team asked me to keep this ad short. So let's start with the real thing. To know more, visit tutanota.com. Thanks for tuning in and welcome to Data Science at Home podcast. We talk about technology, machine learning and algorithms. Today's episode will be about machine learning and privacy. It is not easy at all to combine predictive analytics with data and still protect the privacy of individuals, especially when it comes to health data, but also financial data or social media. Of course, with machine learning, one wants to provide a service to to a person, something that facilitates her life and supports her decisions in finance, for example, or provides support to a doctor, a medical doctor, and there are many examples in that field in which artificial intelligence helps. But in most of these cases, it is quite difficult to protect privacy and keep certain aspects of people's life kind of, you know, private and confidential. This is Data Science at Home, the podcast that makes machine learning and artificial intelligence easy for everyone. Here's your host, Francesco Garaletta. So the increasing amount of data collected by the enormous amount of internet services today, uh, people use every day, has uh, opened doors to a number of breaches and abuses. And only one of the of the most recent ones is Facebook, the Facebook scandal. Uh, but that could be only the start. When it comes to private services, the situation doesn't look any better. And by private, I mean all those services that are usually provided to individuals by governments, financial institutions, insurers, uh, healthcare institutions, and all their combinations. Now, these services manipulate data uh, that provide a unique picture of an individual, a picture that is much clearer than the one depicted or that can be depicted by the private data of a, of a social media platform, for instance, or online retailers. These are already quite interesting from a data analytics perspective, but think about something much more sensitive, for instance, um, healthcare data. And so the sensitivity and also the consequences that uh, such data might cause in case they hand in the, in the wrong hands. Now, humans seems to have reached kind of a cross point where they are asked to choose between a new service with an amazing uh, functionality and privacy, but not both. No data, no service. This seems to be the uh, correct summary of, uh, of the current situation. And so that's what companies building personal finance services say. If you don't give us the data, you, we cannot provide you a service. Um, a bank, for instance, cannot provide a personal financial coach uh, if they don't read your uh, financial transactions on a daily basis. Or a healthcare company cannot provide you recommendation about your health if they don't know uh, about it 
on a daily basis or even at a higher resolution. The same, of course, applies to the marketing companies and the social media companies of the world, but also search engines. And, uh, you know, this list can go on and on. It was not long ago when the gap between healthcare, medicine and machine learning was kind of filled by encouraging results with technologies like deep learning uh, and advanced machine learning that led to create better radiologists than humans or even faster cancer pathologists than, than human pathologists or more accurate clinical doctors than human doctors. And despite the usual skepticism that affects every technology, especially at the beginning, uh, medicine, healthcare, and machine learning have started so kind of a new field of research um, called precision medicine, even though precision medicine is not really new. It's something that is going on since probably more than 10 years. So what is precision medicine? Precision medicine proposes the customization of healthcare with machine learning models and aggregated data coming from different domains. It's called heterogeneous data because they carry a different signal uh, and so a different aspect of the uh, life of an individual or uh, of a biological process. And so combining data, for instance, describing metabolites in uh, bioinformatics, uh, we have so-called metabolomics uh, or proteins and we have proteomics or gene expression profiles and we have genomics or genetic mutations and we have the SNPs or single nucleotide polymorphism. And of course, uh, aggregating all these amazing data sets with the, the more traditional ones like demographics, family history, environmental factors, or traditional medical lab tasks, etc., machine learning models have tried to tackle the very challenging tasks that were once solved by human medical doctors. And uh, among these tasks, of course, we have uh, predicting the risk of a certain disease, detecting some responsible genes for uh, a protein breakdown, or identifying specific genetic pathways as the cause or the reason of certain phenotypes. Think about uh, Down syndrome, which is only one of the most simple one, but you know you can have many other genetic disorders that depend or are caused by a set of genes rather than just one. These are only a few of the challenges accepted by the community of bioinformaticians and data scientists. Now, what is the biggest obstacle out there? Well, the biggest obstacle that such a community has been dealing with since the very early days of precision medicine is something that is well known to mathematicians and especially computer scientists, which goes under the name of underdetermined systems. That is to say, problems with uh, less equations than unknowns. Now, in mathematics, when you have a number of equations, you better have also the same number of unknowns. And that's when the system is determined, because you can estimate or even calculate exactly one unknown from each equation. But if you have more unknowns than equations, then the system becomes more difficult to calculate because, uh, you know, there might be uh, an infinite number of solutions. So there is no real smart solution to stay away from uh, uh, these monster systems or underdetermined systems. If you want to put it simply, the if the number of equations is not sufficient, then data scientists can only uh, you know, choose two strategies. The first is reducing the number of unknowns, 
And the second is, of course, increasing the number of equations. Now, the first solution consists of ignoring the signals provided by these many diverse data sets that have been collected. In precision medicine, the number of variables, the unknowns, can easily be a few orders of magnitude larger than the observations, that is, the number of records or samples or individuals. And this obviously makes uh, such a gap too deep. So practically speaking, cohorts with a complete profile in all the data sources, that is to say all individuals with uh, a full uh, set of observation in any uh, heterogeneous data source, they might be quite rare. Uh, and so we very likely have uh, individuals who have, for instance, genetic profiles, but they don't have uh, uh, metabolites or they have proteins and metabolites and probably uh, less genetic profiles. So having the full picture is also something quite expensive or maybe in a specific study collecting a certain type of data was not required and therefore that data was simply not collected. If we ignore some data, especially in bioinformatics, uh, we're going to be kind of in trouble uh, because we are going to lose consistent signals that might be precious uh, in the analysis uh, for that specific disease or biological process. The second strategy is about collecting more data. And this is the second solution that has proved already to be, first of all, easier, definitely more beneficial in machine learning. Uh, increasing the number of observations by co simply collecting more data will always help no matter how fancy or simple uh, the machine learning model is. And so as a consequence of this undeniable fact that comes from mathematics, many consortia have been created with the attempt of reducing this gap, the gap between number of samples and independent variables or unknowns. And this has clearly brought new challenges and of course issues affecting and many times compromising the privacy and the security of individuals. One uh, trivial way to accommodate such a strategy consists in pooling data in a centralized location with regulated access. While this strategy has made it possible to build super profiles of individuals with their demographics information, financial status, insurance details, genetic compounds, drug patient journey of the last X years, etc., it has also concentrated enormous power and resources in the hands of few administrators. Similar data collection plans have been adopted across domains, especially for consumer services, where it became very, very appealing to collect data that go beyond the purpose of the provided service. And we think about even the most powerful social media platform we use every day. So when it comes to genetics and biological data, Identifying an individual with high accuracy becomes relatively simple. After all, DNA is unique, right, to any individual. Even in the case of working with summary statistics, a participant in a genetic study can be identified relatively easily from other factors such as age, gender, or her geographic location. In addition to this, the type of data manipulated by machine learning algorithms in healthcare and medicine is different by nature. It is not possible to <laughs> opt out from, from our DNA, as much as it would be, for instance, to opt out from a social network, provided, of course, their administrators truly delete your data uh, once you request it. 
While centralizing data might solve the problem for machine learning algorithms, uh, it has in fact created many more issues to patients. So imagine an insurance company who can associate the genetic profile carrying a certain mutation that is known to increase the risk of breast cancer by, let's say, 80%. Now, would such insurer ignore this information and proceed with a subscription? Would a mortgage provider do the same? So there has been more and more the necessity to act on these issues that might be raised by data analytics. One approach is about data anonymization. So when researchers realized how risky it was to connect, for instance, genetic data to personal data, they found anonymization as a viable way to mitigate such risks. So the idea of obfuscating personal data from the genetic profile of an individual seemed to work until some people realized that it really didn't. As a matter of fact, the genealogies uh, allow one to identify individuals who participated in family-based studies. Rare records for certain diseases also isolate the profile of an individual so well that identification becomes really, really easy. In addition to this, machine learning models trained on a combination of genetic and personal data would not perform as good on a, on a stripped version of the data, and so only on genetic or only on personal data. Machine learning models would perform at the same with the same accuracy only on the pooled version of this data. And so it would be impossible to separate these two. In contrast, anonymizing genetic data is kind of impossible. The reason why DNA paternity and forensics tests are the most reliable is because DNA indeed identifies an individual uniquely just by comparing a few markers of the query DNA against a database of DNA sequences. This goes under the name of sequence alignment, is what uh, forensics studies do uh, on, a, on a daily basis. So trying to obfuscate markers in the genetic profile of an individual would consistently change the signal carried by genetic material, making it basically unusable for any other study or analysis. Another strategy is about data encryption. One particular type of encryption that allows one to perform calculations on encrypted data is called homomorphic encryption. And this is extremely interesting because it allows you to calculate the encrypted version of 2 plus the encrypted version of 3 and give you back something that is the encrypted version of 5 without you knowing 2, 3, and 5. <laughs> so you can still perform algebraic uh, calculations on encrypted data, which is insane. Now, such schemes, however, are known to cryptographers and computer scientists to be very demanding in computational terms, especially for nonlinear operations, for instance, multiplications and divisions with other encrypted numbers. And these schemes are uh, called fully homomorphic encryption schemes. Now, if the function to perform on encrypted data is a simple function, for instance, counting or summing or calculating means, etc., simple encryption schemes have shown to be feasible. But in order to perform arbitrary computations with multiplications and other nonlinear algebraic operations, more complicated schemes are required. And turns out that the computational complexity suddenly becomes 
prohibitive, especially for large machine learning problems, for instance, deep neural networks. Other forms of encryptions have been studied and improved in the years, for instance, MPC or multi-party computation, which are less demanding with respect to fully homomorphic encryption schemes, but still orders of magnitude slower than equivalent operations performed on non-encrypted data. Yet another strategy uh, is about data obfuscation. And so one idea behind data obfuscation goes under the name of differential privacy. It consists in obfuscating data by adding noise. So when a database is obfuscated with differential privacy, the results to the queries performed by clients will be as accurate as possible, but not as accurate because uh, it doesn't have to disclose the identity of the returned records. So this approach returns, of course, consistent results on uh, relatively large numbers of records. So for instance, if P is the true proportion of people with a specific attribute, it will be possible to estimate such rate without identifying the single individuals with that attribute. And so only provide population-based or summary statistics. It is easy to conclude that aggregating personal and genetic data in a database obfuscated with differential privacy might work. It definitely would work for summary statistics, as I said, but with few limitations. The possible queries clients are allowed to perform on such a database are relatively limited and should be checked every time before getting processed because, in fact, specific queries could disclose information that is more difficult to obfuscate. Probably the biggest limitation uh, comes from centralization itself because whenever data, you know, for differential privacy, this data has to be centralized anyway. And whenever data is centralized, even in encrypted or obfuscated form, data owners, uh, like the individuals in this case, lose control. And this in turn prevents data owners from getting incentivized every time, for example, their data are used in a, in a study. Now, despite the numerous attempts to mitigate the risks of compromising the privacy of individuals while providing data-driven services, there is no real efficient solution just yet. What is an efficient solution? An efficient solution allows three important facts to occur. The first is that it protects the identity of individuals participating to a study. That's undeniable. The second is that it provides support to data-driven decisions. For example, it returns the disease diagnosis or it identifies genetic compounds that are responsible for a certain uh, disorder or disease. And the third, I think the most important one, is it incentivizes back the individuals who share their data. So with the advent of blockchain technology and uh, better hardware and better algorithms, the problem that we just described here seems to be slightly more approachable. And despite the improvement of encryption schemes and uh, multi-party computation protocols, there is still an enormous slowdown with respect to computing on unencrypted data. These are facts that we have to deal with today. And uh, I strongly believe that a combination of technologies such as homomorphic encryption, multi-party computation, cryptoeconomics, and blockchain technology are a great start towards private machine learning. At least they make it feasible for everyday use cases. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. This episode is supported by CryptPad, the secure collaboration platform to edit your documents with colleagues and friends without compromising your privacy.
No document can be read by the cloud or the NSA, not even CryptPad themselves. You can try it for free. For more, visit cryptpad.fr. C-R-Y-P-T-P-A-D.fr. Imagine an organization that wants to unlock the value of their data, but their data is too sensitive. Imagine a data scientist who wants to work on very rare data, but she cannot access them. With FitChain, organizations and individuals can unlock the value of their data instantly, connecting them to data scientists who have an incentive to work on a solution. No confidential information will ever leave the organization, which, thanks to FitChain, can keep their industrial secrets while enjoying the endless benefits of machine learning. But wait, there's more. Data owners can monetize their data. Data scientists can monetize their models. With a team of experts in AI and blockchain technology, FitChain allows highly regulated environments from domains like healthcare, research and development, and banking to take advantage of machine learning without compromising the thing we value most, confidentiality. Visit fitchain.io and unlock the value of your data. This was Data Science at Home, the podcast that makes machine learning and artificial intelligence easy for everyone. If you like the show, don't forget to write a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podbean. You can also find us on datascienceathome.com, where you can subscribe to our newsletter and get the latest updates. Thanks for listening. Hey, are you still there? Well, let me tell you about the newsletter of Data Science at Home. It's my free digest of the best content in artificial intelligence, data science, predictive analytics, and computer science. Subscribe now, datascienceathome.com.